All right, can I ask you to please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> so we're continuing our verse-by-verse, passage-by-passage trek through the gospel. Luke chapter 6, and we'll begin today in verse 37 and make our way down to verse 42, but just by means of introduction, we'll read verse 39 before we have a word of prayer. And as uh, just to also remind you, what we're reading, we're right in the middle of it now in Luke 6. This is properly called the Sermon in the Plain. Matthew 5, you have what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the information does sound very familiar because much of the Sermon on the Mount made its way... Sorry, guys, this, it's actually the speaker, it's not the table. That speaker comes and goes, and there's nothing we can do about that, so I'm so sorry for that. But what, what you read in, in Matthew 5, that Sermon on the Mount, much of, it found, much of that information found its way into this sermon. But as you, if you compare the uh, Gospel of Matthew, you're going to find bits and pieces out of chapter 5, 6, 7, chapter 11, 14, 15, little bits of Jesus' teachings from other places got put into this one sermon. And it's amazing to see how Jesus could take all these deep, important truths and work them into one fluid sermon. And this is one of the passages that is very unique because what we have in this passage, you have pieces from Matthew 5, Matthew 7, Matthew 14. It's all intermingled in such a smart and, and, and brilliant way here. So Luke 6 and verse 39, we read here, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? And for a few minutes this morning, I'd like to preach to you a sermon with this title, Avoiding the Ditch. Avoiding the Ditch. And I think what we're going to get from verses 37 to 42 is some, some outstanding advice on how to avoid the ditch, specifically in this passage, the ditch of bitterness. The judgmental ditch of bitterness, how to avoid that. So if you would, let's bow our heads and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us this morning as we covered in Sunday school. We want to give attendance. We want to attend unto your words and, and take heed. Please, Father, fill me with your spirit. I pray that you might uh, get a hold of the people's hearts even now, prepare the ground so that as the seed falls, it falls into good ground. And Lord, I thank you that uh, you've already come down and met with us we thank you for that unseen hand. We pray you might guide us even through this sermon now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, as you can see in verse 39, we have this parable, and I think both sides of the, of the passage will speak to this parable. However, also understand that we are picking up today's sermon, my sermon, in the middle of Jesus' sermon. So I'm kind of borrowing. This, this is just him. This isn't me coming up with a great outline. I'm just taking what he said, which is always a good, good idea. But last week we covered verse 31. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. This is what's called the golden rule. This is a, a universal law. And we're, we're going to see this universal law of sowing and reaping. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So because that is a universal law, as, you know, we kind of say, what comes around goes around. If that's the case, be real careful what you send around. Because it will eventually make its way back to you. Now, see how Jesus tied this together. Verse 37, judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Do you see how he's expanding on the golden rule? He's taking the thought of verse 31, and now he's going to expand on that. 
Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. You see how he's, what comes around, goes around. Verse 38, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Now watch the point that he's making at the end of verse 38. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So whatever standard you use to judge people, that will be the standard used when judging you. Because that's the way it works. That's the universal law, sowing and reaping. You need to be very careful to choose your measure wisely. The passage in verse 37 is not telling us we're never allowed to judge anybody. It can't be, and I'll, I'll show you why. Look at the end of verse 37. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Well, what happens when we forgive somebody? First, the Bible says if your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. How do you rebuke him if you're not judging him? You have to be saying, brother, what you did here was wrong. And the Bible says you rebuke him after you've rebuked him. If he repents, you forgive him. So forgiveness, the end of verse 37, tells us that there had to have been a proper use of judgment to begin with. But notice in verse 37, the whole picture here, we do not just simply judge somebody for the sake of judging them. You don't want to be judgmental. We don't condemn them simply to be condemning them. We want to work this out to where we go from, brother, you hurt me, and here's the resolution, I forgive you. Now, I believe what Jesus is getting across here this morning. In verse 37, just turn your attention back to that. If I'm going to judge somebody, I have to know that one day that's going to come back on me. I'm going to be judged as well. Yes? I don't know about you, I would rather, when I'm being judged, whether it's by someone or God, I would love to have a lot of mercy when that happens. Wouldn't you? The Bible says in the book of James that mercy rejoices against judgment. It says that if you judge without mercy, then you will be judged without mercy. James is simply taking what Jesus said and expanding on it a bit. So when I am judged by somebody, I would rather them, instead of jumping to conclusions and nitpicking every single thing I do, trying to exaggerate my faults beyond what they really were, you know what I would like? I would rather somebody patiently, gently weigh out the facts and give me the benefit of the doubt. I would like for that person to hear and try to understand and, and, and maybe even acknowledge, yes, I messed up, but I wasn't trying to mess up. I would like a lot of mercy to go with my judgment. It says condemn not. You know, if, so, if I'm going to be condemned, if somebody's going to pass not only judgment, but then say, here's your punishment. It's one thing to say you were wrong. That's judgment. It's another thing to say, here's what we're going to do about it. That's condemning. Okay, you were wrong. I want them to be gentle, patient, understanding with that judgment. And then when it comes time to condemn, I hope you don't write me off. I hope, as they say, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, okay, you messed up. That's it. Finished and clar you have no chance of ever getting right again. You know what I would like? A second chance. And a third chance. 
and a fourth chance. Didn't Jesus say that when somebody sins against you and then turns and says, I'm sorry, I repent, how many times do you have for, to forgive them in one day? Seven. That is giving him the benefit of the doubt. That is being slow to wrath. That is saying, I'm not going to write you off quickly. I want this to work. Jesus said at the end of verse 37, forgive and you shall be forgiven. I would rather have that person forgive me than hold a grudge against me. I would rather have them say, I want to work this out. Verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Well, let's use the golden rule here. How would I want somebody to give towards me? Generously. I would want them to give cheerfully. I don't want them to come to me and go, Brother Mike, I cannot stand you. You are my enemy, and that's why God told me to give you something. <laughs> God said, you know, feed your enemy, so here you go. <laughs> Can you please do that a little nicer? That's not how I want it. Can I point something out about the golden rule? Just let your eyes go back to verse 31. As you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Who makes the first move? You do. Say, I don't like what they're doing to me. But it all starts with you. See, here's what we do. But pastor, the people in my life are nothing like what you just described. When they judge me, they are quick and harsh to judgment. They overjudge me. They are so judgmental. They pick me to pieces. They believe the worst about me before they even hear the story. They hate me, for, as, as it says in another place, without cause. And the people in my life, they're so quick to write me off and assume that because I made a mistake or a few mistakes that I'm never going to get right. Pastor, you don't know the people that I'm dealing with. They are in this judgmental ditch. They are in this quick to wrath, quick to vengeance ditch. The people in my life, Pastor, you got to understand, they are unforgiving. They, I, I, I made a mistake and they have yet, it's been years and they have yet to forgive me. They won't even talk to me. They won't even let me approach them to make it right. Pastor, you don't know who I'm dealing with. They are in the hard-hearted ditch of bitterness. You don't know who I'm dealing with. Pastor, the people in my life, they're cold and stingy and greedy. They wouldn't help me no matter how much I begged, I can't imagine them coming to me and giving me anything. Verse 38, they wouldn't do it. Pastor, you don't know the kind of people I'm dealing with in my life. The temptation is this. We get to the end of verse 38. The same measure that you meet, that's, that's another way of saying the same measure that you use to measure, with all it shall be measured to you. So whatever measuring rod you use, right, that's going to be used on you. So here's the temptation. Pastor, the people in my life are hard and austere and they're jerks and they're mean and they're just horrible people. I didn't mean to emphasize that so much, but horrible people. <laughs> so you know what we do? We say, well, what comes around goes around. And since they were so bad to me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that same measuring rod and I'm going to go give it to them. The same rod that they're beating me over the head with and treating me wrong, I'm going to go give it to them. Now this goes back into what we learned last week in verse 36, be ye therefore merciful. When your enemies hate you, curse you, despitefully use you, yes? You know what we do? They, you say you're using the wrong rod. Are you with me? 
Don't worry about the speaker. You're using the wrong rod. We rather say, okay, I'm going to take God's rod. And even though you're treating me wrong, then I will be the first one to treat you right. I will start a new thing, some new behavior. I'm not going to let you lead the way with this bad, hard heart. So I am going to do to you the way I would want you to do to me. Even though you were not good enough to do me right first. I'm going to let God set the pace. Now, with that in mind, watch how this works into verse 39. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? Some people in your life, they are blinded by rage. They're blinded by greed. They're blinded by arrogance. They're blinded by pride. They're blinded by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They have no idea how to go through this life. They cannot see the way clearly. What's the point of verse 39? Don't let them lead. Don't let them lead. Don't follow that blind person. If they're blinded by all those bad things, do not replicate their behavior. Do not say, because they did this bad thing to me, well, therefore, it's just right if I give it back to them. You're going to fall into the same ditch of bitterness. Verse 40, the disciple is not above his master. How many times did people mistreat Jesus? All the time. People viewed him wrongly. They were judgmental against him. They condemned him. They wrote him off, said he was full of Beelzebub. They didn't hear him out. They didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. And Jesus still patiently, gently moved through his life, meekly dealing with those people. And he's saying, guys, the same behavior that I had, that's what I'm expecting of you. As my disciples, you're not above me. You don't get to take out vengeance right away. I expect you to move through this life the same way I did because I can see the way clearly. My eyes are open. I'm not blind. Do not follow the blind of the world. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. If you are to be a, compl a complete, fully mature Christian, you conform to his image. You take on the characteristics of Christ. A student has not learned anything properly if he can only pass the theoretical test. As I understand it at university, I never went to the puck, but as I understand it, you have the theoretical where you write the exams and then you have to do practicals. Am I right about that? Right? Any students here today? All right. Is that an amen moment? Is that how it works? Theory, then practice. It's one thing to know where it's at in the Bible. It's another thing when your enemy is attacking you, persecuting you, despitefully using you, treating you like trash and garbage to say, I'm going to love you anyway because that's how my master did it. And you're not my master. I'm not going to let your bad attitude and your ditch of bitterness, I'm not going to let you drag me down to that level. I'm going to avoid that ditch. How? By instead, instead of learning from them, from the blind, I'm going to follow my master and be like him. Jesus said this in John 12, If any man hear my words and believe not, listen to this part, I judge him not. 
Jesus said, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Interesting verse. Some people will read only that verse and go, you see, wrong to make any judgment. The next verse, Jesus said this, he that rejected me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him at the last day. You know what he says? I am not here right now to judge you. I'm here to save you. But one day you will be judged. And when you're judged, you'll be judged by an upright and perfect standard. My words. Because my words came right from the Father. So I know that the day of judgment is coming. But right now, it's, it, this is mercy's day. This is the day, the age of grace. This is the time to give you the second chance and the third chance and the seventh chance. And, and if, if you're having a bad week, we'll do 70 times seven. <laughs> That's how we go through this life. Not letting the blind, those that are blinded by rage, greed, pride lead the way. We let our master lead the way. We know, yes, deep down, we know that day's coming when God will set the account right. But for now, I'm going to walk forward with mercy, with a generous dose of mercy. And that way I can avoid the ditch. Verse number 41. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? <laughs> now I'm sure as Jesus is preaching that, the people get a bit of a snicker out of that. The beam in your own eye. I mean, it's obviously an exaggeration. You don't walk around with a beam in your eye. Right? You don't. You don't. You realize the picture he's painting. Some people have such a massive problem in their life. Everybody else knows it. Everybody else can see it, but the person with the beam in their eye can't see it. Now, as I say that, I, I, I can see it in some of your eyes. You go, yep, yep. I, that's so true. I know the people around me. They don't see I see it. I see it. Yes, I know. You can see the motes in their eyes. Oh, you can see the moats. What about your beam? What about your beam? Judgmental people rarely consider their own issues. They're in a ditch. They're in a ditch of thinking they're always right. They're in a ditch of thinking they got it figured out. They're in a ditch that doesn't allow them to do any self-examination. They're in a ditch that says the problem is always the other guy's fault. It's never your fault, ever. It's always somebody else. It's SARS. <laughs> it's the municipality, right? It's always somebody else. It's never you. There's nothing in your eye. You know what's interesting here? A moat. That is like a speck of sawdust, a speck of dust, one little moat. Isn't that annoying when that's in your eye? Right? We, we, especially with the wind blowing nowadays, you know, the seasons are changing. Yesterday we were out witnessing and the wind kicked up and we just got a face full of dirt. And just, plow, and I turned around to my family and everybody's doing this business. <laughs> we, we all know what it feels like to have a moat in our eye, Right? Now the question in verse 41, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? Zintle, if you don't mind, could you just approach the bench? <laughs> just come this direction, just stand right there. Now if I'm looking for the mote in his eye, how, how close do you think I have to be? That's why I've asked him to come forward. Right? How close do I have to be? Zintle? 
Mm-hmm. All right, open wide. Uh-huh. Show me everything. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And then we get machines out here, you know. Yeah. I mean, right? We have to, thank you, brother. We have to get really close. Why? Why are you that, <laughs> I want to just say, up in his business? <laughs> Why? What are you looking for exactly? The, the moat, really? If he has a moat in his eye, you're going to do perfectly fine standing back here to say, brother, I can see your eyes turning a little red. You might want to just check your eye. Chances are he already knows it's hurting because it's his eye. What are you examining him so closely for? In the passage, you know what a judgmental person will do? They are looking for a reason, even a small reason, a moat. They're not looking for beams. They're looking for moats. They're looking for small reasons to dislike that person. They're looking for the smallest of reasons to dismiss that person and say, I don't want to try to help you. I don't want to try to love you. I don't want to be kind to you. I'm done being gentle and patient and merciful with you. Enough. I want you as far away from me as you can be. I want a reason. I want to feel justified in my bitterness against you. So come here. Let me examine your life and find any little thing I can see that would make me feel better about staying in the ditch of bitterness. That's not how our master did it. Our master, yes, he recognized the problems of the people he was ministering to, but he also was looking for a way to help them. He didn't come simply to fault find. He came to give you a way out of the faults. He didn't come to say, hey, you're in a ditch and that's your problem. He came to help you out of the ditch. Verse number 42, either how canst thou say to thy brother, brother, let me pull out the moat that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. And then he gets very pointed, thou hypocrite, Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the moat that is in thy brother's eye. What's the end goal? We'd like to help our brother. He's got a moat. We might be able to help him with it, but we can't do that until we get rid of the beam in our own eye. You see how the passage doesn't do away with proper biblical righteous judgment. I'd like to minister to my brother, my sister, my my neighbor, If there's a moat, let me help you with that. But first, let me do some self-examination. And that's the ditch of the hypocrite. They never take a moment to consider that they themselves might have some eye trouble. You see what Jesus has done? Can the blind lead the blind? If you have beams in your eyes, dude, you're blind. (laughs) You is blind. You can't see where you're going, not with a beam in your eye. You could with a moat, but not with a beam. And now you're trying to lead people. Do you see how it all fits together? He says, listen, before you can ever lead anybody in the right way and help them become more like Christ, you've got to deal with these beams in your eyes. You know what I've found, and I'm sure the older you get, the more you realize this, if you're paying attention as you go through life. If you've ever had something really painful in your eye, you can feel some compassion 
right? Some sympathy for somebody else when they get something in their eye. Oh, God help me. I've never had kidney stones. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I don't want them. I've never had them. So, but I tell you what I do. I'm, I'm applying the golden rule here. When I see somebody and they're in pain, I, what's going on? Kidney stones. Oh, bro, I'm so sorry. Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Wow, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, I'm going to pray for you so, so much. I don't want kidney stones. But what I've heard, when, when you finally are blessed with that experience and you have kidney stones, Wow, can you sympathize with the next guy? And you can be, you say, I get it, man, I get it, you're in pain. I don't expect you to get anything else done today or this week. You got kidney stones. You get a free pass. <laughs> you can be very, very gentle and sympathetic to somebody once you've gone through the problem yourself. Once you've pulled a few beams out of your eyes, it actually helps you to see very clearly, you know what? That wasn't easy. That wasn't easy. It's not easy to overcome sin. You know that if you've ever tried to overcome some. But we look at everybody else's sin and say, hey man, why aren't you overcoming that now? like now? Just go forward and pray. It should be done. Come on, man. Lay aside every weight, the sin that does so easily beset us. What's wrong with you? Just overcome it. It's not that easy, Mr. Beam in your eye. Pull out a few beams and you go, wow, that was a lot more painful than I thought. You might end up a whole lot more patient and gentle when you go to that brother and say, listen, I, I've noticed something. I'd like to help. But brother, I am trying to help because I've been there. And I know how hard it is to overcome certain things in your life. And Jesus has gotten me through. He's taken me over the humps. He's been patient with me. He was merciful with me. He didn't write me off. He told me I was wrong because he loved me. And then he was ready and quick to forgive me. And I want to be that way for you because I've had some beams in my eyes. And I know how bad that is. Years ago when I was a teenager, I played American football. I seriously doubt any of you have played that, but I'm sure you're familiar with the game. Yes? Might I say, so that I can gain your affection, I have come to like rugby more than American football. I, I really have. The game, rugby just, you guys move, it goes. You start the game and the clock runs. American football takes forever. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But <laughs> you guys, you under, you, you've seen the gear that we wear. We have a, a, we have a helmet, right? And then we have a chin strap and it has a face guard on it, right? You've seen that? It has, it has holes here where the ears would be. So, and then you got, a, you got a whole lot of padding that you wear. You got shin guards and thigh guards and, and knee pads. I mean, it, you know, we have a lot of stuff going on. Not shin guards, but the thigh guards. And we got pads on the shoulders and on the back. And if you're hurting stuff, you got padding everywhere. As a teenager, I, I played what they call Ironman football, which is simply to say I played both sides, offense and defense. I didn't come off the field. I was the starting quarterback and the starting linebacker. That's a defensive thing where you run in and tackle the guys. All right. One day in practice, I, I, coach said, all right, Flick, I was the linebacker. Flick, get in here. So I jump in, and I'm, I'm in the stance, ready to go. And then they hand the ball to the all-state running back. I'm in Texas. This is the state for football. 
That's where football was born. Not really, but that's what they think. They handed the, this kid the ball. His name was Eric Green. I'll never forget him because he's tattooed in my mind. He hit me so hard. Flick tackle him. Yes, sir. <laughs> I remember the collision. And, and I want to say, he went to the ground. So that counts as a tackle. But here's how he made it to the ground. He hit me so hard, I was in this position. You're not supposed to duck your head when you tackle. But he was coming so fast and so hard, I got scared. And I didn't want to see it. I didn't. So I put my head down. And he hit me so hard, it knocked me back. And I ended up in this position on the ground. And then he was still running. He tripped on me, fell. So I tackled him. <laughs> he went to the ground. I and, and he fell on me, and he was a big dude. My face mask went between my legs. And God help me, I can't replicate that now, nor do I ever want to. <laughs> Boom! My face mask got stuck in the dirt. They had to roll Eric off. Coach came over, Coach Copeland came over and grabbed my helmet and pulled me out of the dirt. And then he laid me down on the ground. He said, Flick, don't move. Don't move. Don't move anything. I said, okay. He said, don't move. Don't say anything. I had my mouth guard in. He said, don't move. Because that, that injury, he thought my spine might have just gotten snapped or something. I mean, it hit so hard. That was my first ever trip in an ambulance. I had to lay there on the field. They called 911, you know, and brought the ambulance, and they brought the stretcher out, and it was, wow. I was starting to get scared because I couldn't feel everything properly. And coach said, all right, Flick, don't, don't talk, just blink. One blink for yes, two blinks for no. And I thought, oh boy. We get in the ambulance and that's what it is. One blink for yes, two blinks for no. And I'm getting nervous and oh my soul, what is, what's going to happen to me? I get to the hospital. They gently put the stretcher onto the table. The doctor comes in and says, okay, now we understand. You know, your coach told us what happened. Uh, we're going we're to have to do some x-rays and see if your neck and your spine's okay. I said, all right, all right. I'm, you know, I'm, in my mind, I'm just thinking, oh, God, please. I'm not saved or anything. I don't know how to pray. I, I'm just, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to walk again. It was nervous time. And then this doctor says, now, in order to do the x-rays, we have to take your helmet off. So that makes perfect sense. He says, so how do you take it off? I got my mouth guard still in my mouth. How do I blink my way through that? It's like I'm having a seizure, you know. <laughs> I, can't, I can't blink through that. So he, I said, oh, he took my mouth guard. He said, okay, just go ahead. You can, you can say it. I said, all right. I said, well, first, you have to undo the chin strap. He said, okay. Pop. That hurt. Pop. I thought, okay, fine, now it's done. I said, now you put your fingers. He's an MD. Do I really have to explain to an MD how to take my helmet off? You have a PhD, man. You can figure this out. But anyway, I said, put your fingers in the ear holes. Remember, I'm laying flat, right? Can you picture it? I'm laying flat. I'm facing the ceiling, right? Put your fingers in the ear holes and lift up. Now, which way's up? up as in off my head up. <laughs> Dr. Doodle Digger sticks his fingers in the ear holes and lifts up. Oh. <laughs> Whoop! And then 
Then the doctor says, oh dear, and let's go. Boom. <laughs> and then to play it off, uh, did you feel that? <laughs> yeah, I felt that. I felt that. He said, I'm so sorry. You meant the other up. I said, yes, the other up. He said, okay. So he, he wiggles it off. He says, okay, no, we're all right. We're all right. Then he wheels me into the x-ray room and he says, okay, um, I, I think, are you able to move yourself onto the other table? I said, well, I think so. Based on what you just put me through, I think I'm okay enough. He said, go ahead and just, just scoot you know, off of this table we've rolled you on onto the fixed table in the room. I said, okay. So I gently set up. And when I went to roll over to get onto the other table, they had failed to unbuckle me. So I went to roll over and whap, slapped me right back onto the table. So then the doctor comes in. He says, you know, I think you're okay. But we're going to do the x-rays anyway. Yeah, I think I'm, I was okay before I got to the hospital. <laughs> I may not be by the time I'm done here. Because you guys are doing worse than the, than the, 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 the fullback hit me. I mean... The point of telling you all that is to say this, that doctor had obviously never played football. He had never played football, and that's why he couldn't take my helmet off. It's hard to appreciate what somebody else is going through if you've never been through it. If he played a little football, he knows just and unsnap this up and, and everything goes fine. You can help the person if you've been through it. He had never been through it. So he ended up hurting me and hurting me and hurting me, and hurting me as he was trying to get me out of the hospital. Here's the point I'm making, if you haven't understood it already. If you don't approach people gently and patiently, trying to understand what they're going through and the position they're in, you might end up hurting them instead of helping them. If you're not sure what they're going through, rather than judging them, going, why, why are you still on the table? Why don't you get your helmet off? <laughs> Try to understand what they're going through. So you know what? If I was in this position, I would go slowly and gently and try to help you get better. You say, but what about Jesus? He is the beamless, moteless Son of God. Do you understand what I mean by that? He had no big sins. He had no little sins. Is there any way he could possibly understand what we're going through? The Bible says we have a great high priest who was touched with the feeling of our infirmities and was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He's been right there. He's been face to face with sin, and he overcame it. And you say, well, see, but he doesn't know how, how it feels to fail. He doesn't know how it feels to carry around the burden of guilt from my sin. Are you sure about that? Because on the cross, all of your sins were put on him. He has carried your burden. He knows exactly what it feels like to be you because He took your place. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The beamless, moteless Son of God, He avoided the ditch of hating and giving up on sinners. Because when he came, he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. You know what he tells us today? You're not above me.
that's the way I approached sinners that hated me. Now that's the way I want you to approach the sinners that aren't so great in your life. I want you to be complete as your master. Let's all stand if you would please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We want to avoid those ditches this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Rainier, play something quietly. Say, Pastor, I've made some mistakes and the people in my life didn't try to help me up. The people in my life just wrote me off. Okay, they did you wrong. Amen, they did. But now you do the next person right. Don't follow that blind leader into the ditch. The song we sang right before the end, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't turn them onto the blind guy who's blinded by his rage and his greed and his hatred. Turn your eyes to the sinless Son of God. Say, Jesus, teach me how to be merciful and compassionate, slow to anger. Teach me, Jesus, not to be judgmental. Help me, Jesus, not to look for reasons, not to look for reasons to dislike people, but to look for ways to be kind and loving to them. That's what you did. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're in a ditch of sin. You've tried so hard to claw your way out. Can I just tell you, no matter how hard you try, if you're doing it in your own power, even with good intentions, you'll never get out of that ditch. But there is a way out. Jesus can get you out of that ditch. He can open your eyes, help you see clearly, show you how to navigate through this life all the way home to the Father. If you've never come to Jesus Christ and asked Him to save you, why not, why not today? See, I got a church, you know, I go to my church and I've been baptized and I, I've been confirmed and good, but that's not the same as receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is you personally looking at Him eye to eye and saying, I want to be like you. If you've never done that this morning, this morning you have that chance. Perhaps some of you have found yourself heartbroken Some people have hurt you. You're finding it very difficult to treat them with kindness. You just want to write them off. Find it in your heart this morning. Not because you feel like it, but because Jesus commanded you to do it. Say, Jesus, I, I don't want to be nice to them. But you were nice to them and I want to be like you. I don't want to give him another chance, but you would, so I will.
I want to be like you. Don't follow the blind. Follow him. Father, thank you this morning. I believe you've ministered to our hearts. And Lord, you know the needs of every heart in here. What they're struggling with. How people have treated them. Lord, you have taught us in this passage some very difficult but important truth. It's difficult not to understand, Lord. We get it. It's just very difficult to practice it. Lord, we want to be perfect as our master is perfect. We want to keep the whole thing, not just know it, but do it. So, Lord, as we dismiss, as we go through this week, God, let these truths remain in our hearts. Let these things that you've said guide us through the week, not the blind, but you. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock. Uh, be sure you